Welcome to the Painless Podcast. It's Chris Hartwick from Painless Networking here. Check us out at www.painless.network for more on taking the pain out of networking. The idea behind these Painless Podcasts is pretty simple. It's connecting with good human beings in and around sports and event marketing. And it's not just sound bites, but some deep, smart, interesting, generous people sharing with us how and why they've reached the success they've had and how and why networking and mentoring have shaped their careers. One quick sec before we talk about Whistle Sports and our guest today, Jeff Urban. Quick thanks to our sponsor for making the podcast possible this week. Heads up that uh, the good folks at Spikeball are holding Spikeball Nationals, all of you in Chicago. It's coming to Chicago October 14th. If you haven't listened to Painless Pod number four with Chris Reuter, Get it in your feed. Great guy, building a great company, great sport, and Nationals are here in uh, about six weeks. For a limited time, they've created a special offer for Painless members and podcast listeners. Save 50% on registering your team with the code PAINLESS. Just use it at registration. Full link is in the pod description, or you can get there via www.usaspikeball.com. Also, make sure you check out our Painless Podcast Network sister pod, Fade Away with Dion and Eric. In the Painless Podcast feed is where you'll find it. Dion Thomas is the focus of episode one. And Dion and Eric talked to Lou Henson in a great chat in number two. And a very interesting chat with new Illini women's coach Nancy Fay about leaving behind five national championships and the, basically the comfort at Wash U to coach in the Big Ten. Next week, it should be interesting, Jimmy Collins. All right. Let's talk about Jeff Urban and how he tells us about Whistle Sports, how it came about, why he took the leap from Gatorade and USA Today and agency sports marketing, and as, as he puts it, basically a, the billion-dollar world to the zero-dollar startup of the Whistle Sports. It hasn't uh, certainly been all rainbows and unicorns, but Whistle Sports is the fastest-growing sports digital social content provider out there, period. QM audience nearing four. Hundred million, pretty impressive since the formal launch just three years ago. Uh, you definitely want to connect with Whistle Sports, see what they're up to. Twitter and Facebook are at Whistle Sports. Facebook, they're already over two point four million followers with a lot of fun stuff going on there, dedicated towards that uh, kind of millennial male audience at this point. Website is www.whistlesports.com. All right, enough of me. Recorded August twenty second. Let's get connected with Jeff Urban. From beautiful Skokie, Illinois, welcome to the Painless Podcast. Today's guest, Jeff Urban. Welcome aboard, Jeff. Good to have you with us today. Can you give us a little bit of background on what uh, Whistle Sports is? Sure, thanks. Uh, So great to be here today. Uh, I am the co-founder and president of Whistle Sports. We are the fastest growing sports digital sports entertainment company. Uh, And uh, our mission, which was born out of creating good-for-you sports content has grown and morphed into creating, curating, and distributing sports entertainment content across the social highways. Uh, We're predominantly a a, a male platform. Uh, About 80% of our audience is Hmm. 13 to 34-year-old young men. And we're uh, about 80% uh, male, 20% female. And as a father with three daughters, I'm I'm keenly interested on trying to grow (laughs) grow the... uh, Grow the demographic pie and, and lean in more heavily um, uh, with females as we as we uh, try to take over the world. Yes, there's growth opportunity there, right there, right. Uh, not red flag, big, big, just a big flag opportunity for you. For Absolutely. Growth. Where did Whistle Sports come from? What was the genesis of that idea back all the way now? In 2009 was when it first started. What were you seeing? What were you thinking? Said this is the idea. My partner John West, who's a serial entrepreneur. Um, was able to network into me through a good friend, a mutual friend of ours, Mark Lazarus, who's now the president uh, of NBC Sports. And Mark uh, uh, had met John through um, some other friends and now investors. And Mark was really our first advisor and uh, became an investor in the company. We since divested him because of the conflict of interest with with him at NBC Sports. Uh, But the idea was really founded on trying to uh, look through the eyes of our kids and what they were experiencing from a mid, from a uh, sports media perspective at that time. So take it back to 09 and the steroids issues are popping. Um, the 24-hour news cycle was really in full full throttle, full throat. And we were looking at it, looking at the media delivery uh, through the eyes of our kids, and it was largely you know, again this 24-hour news cycle of, of of our kids getting yelled at. And so <laughs> what we started at the time 
was an interest in a linear cable network to take the best of what ESPN was doing and some of the best of what Nickelodeon was doing and really smashing it together and trying to create a linear network that was, uh, again, good for you sports. And as we went out there and explored the marketplace and met with distributors and met with partners, we realized that we were going to try to use, use a really bad sports analogy, skate to where the puck was. <laughs> and we turned from a linear network concept to one where we were, again, creating, curating, and distributing content across the social highways. Now, right now, we don't own um, any of our platforms. We don't have a single technology person that works at our company. We're largely reliant mm-hmm. on the likes of our, our partners at Facebook and YouTube and Instagram um, as the lead platforms for us to distribute our content. And certainly that comes with a tax to, to play on those highways. But we also know that the, the consumption patterns of our key demographic, again, 13 to 34-year-old, is really founded and born on these highways. Uh, and as we look to expand the business, we are looking at additional platforms like OTT partners who are needing our content to help round out some live game investments they've made and shoulder programming that only we can provide with our unique point of view on sports entertainment. And for people listening to the little bit of terminology with, you talked about linear, OTT, what, what are those? What's the difference, the top line of differences for people if they don't know what those are? Yeah, sim- simply stated, I would, I would describe it as linear are the existing channels you would know as your over-the-air channels, ABC, CBS, NBC, and the linear would be the, your cable network. So um, you know, pick a number, any one of the 100 or 200 cable channels that are out there would, be, would really fall under the classic definition of linear. OTT, over the top, um, is the new portals or distribution portals that are popping up to really circumvent that traditional system. So think of it as Verizon Go 90 or any one of the skinny bundles that are being developed, like a Fubo TV uh, or Sony doing it or our Microsoft Xbox trying to deliver video services around the traditional ecosystem that has been uh, where the the media game has really been played the previous you know, 10, 20, 50, 100 years. Yeah, so when, looking back at 08, 09, this crystallizing, the idea was at that point this would be a cable network. Right. And that correct. And how long did, did that when, when did that pivot along the way? Was it very quickly just saying, hey, there's just so much more money or whatever investment to start this up. This is a smarter way to do this. Or, you know, how did it how did it change to become this across all the highways, as you put it? Yeah, I think there's a couple pinch points. Uh, as we were out, um, you know, pitching the business plan idea and we met with the Comcasts and the directs and the dishes of the world. Um, we, we started to, to see some trends that were popping, and we got into YouTube. Um, and YouTube was really obviously just growing like a weed at that time. And then um, Xbox started serving up their Xbox 360 video serving app. And we saw that the ecosystem was really changing, and the, and the, and the habits and patterns of our core demographic were really moving off traditional sort of time-stamped television, TV watching, into more um, of the always-on social distribution model that we think is now pretty powerful. So if you take that sort of trend that we were seeing and the fact that um, it was going to require a significant fundraise to prop up and substantiate a a distribution network and a cable network, if you will, um, we quickly pivoted the business plan and got early buy-in from from some of our uh, first investors as well as a, a key partnership with the NFL that saw this opportunity um, in early 11, saw this opportunity to really uh, sort of chart um, the future of co-developing and co-creating content against this, uh, against this male, male-focused audience. And they've been a foundational partner, uh, league partner with ours, as, uh, as well as Major League Baseball and a couple of other leagues like the PGA Tour and NASCAR, Major League Lacrosse and U.S. Skiing, who were sort of foundational equity partners in the company that looked at this opportunity and said, hey, let, let's, get, let, let's give this co-development, co-distribution a chance. Now, we've since morphed those relationships because man, many of those early relationship, relationships were around, can we license content and try to, quote, unquote, right. whistleize it? <laughs> and then we realized that that model is not commercially viable for us. While great for the leagues and, and certainly a great first pass at a partnership, we've since tried to develop our relationships where we really are trying to ideate together and create together and taking our special knowledge and sauce about what this this demographic is really all about 
And how do we certainly protect the integrity of the league, uh, but also do it with our flavor and with our special, uh, I think, uh, creativity and then the power of our network and our marketing canon to distribute this content um, into pipes that perhaps the NFL hadn't considered or hadn't considered as robustly uh, as the network that we've established to date. Yeah, what's an, uh, what's an example of a cross when you talk about, you know, you've got the NFL or MLB or NASCAR, these major and long-time leagues, or it could be uh, ML, uh, Major League Lacrosse or uh, something along those lines. What's an example then when you're talking about being more on the ideation prog- process with, with these guys? What, what, what is that to create the right content? How early on in stages uh, with any of them? What could be an example of the way that you guys are doing this now? And to take your term, whistleizing it, mm-hmm. but what do you do uh, you know, on a daily basis kind of a thing with them to create that stuff? I'll share two examples. And uh, it really has to start with the foundation that we don't really care about the score, the stat, the update. We're going to leave that to, um, I dare say, the more traditional outlets who frankly have commoditized that in a way that we could never, ever compete. So if you sort of take that off the table and say, ESPN, CBS, NBC, whoever else is going to do your score, your stat, your update, and frankly, Bleacher Report's doing it, I think, with a, with a, with a tone um, that mm-hmm. is appealing, I think, more aggressively to, to the younger audience right now. Right. So if, if, if we see that area and take that off the table, then we really are about sports entertainment. So how do we help the leagues um, and I'll, I'll use a NASCAR example and an NFL example. How do we take the leagues and help them dimensionalize their game, dimensionalize their players, and really bring a uh, maybe a new um, sense of sports entertainment to the league in a way that they maybe have not considered? So the first example I'll give you is NASCAR Goes West. Early in the NASCAR season, there's a number of California races and West Coast races, and we were able to take a number of our creators and identify three of those stops and pair creators with drivers in and around Las Vegas and in and around two of the California stops and really created this ecosystem where the driver and the creator had shared interests and were spending the day together and doing things off the track while sometimes using the car. Mm. Um, they They were sharing passions together, whether that was trick shots, whether that was pool, whether that was... Um, you know, enjoying Las Vegas or California. And you could really see the helmet come off the driver. You could really see the creator sort of understand the world of the athlete. And those immediate shared bonds created amazing content. We're able to package that up with NASCAR and distribute that across both NASCAR platforms and our platforms. Um, And I think that's one of our um, sort of multi-stop first passes with the leagues that I think really resonated and was able to sort of uh, again, not just have NASCAR reporting about what's the what's the what's the update around the track, right. but um, outside the track, and again, dimensionalize the driver. The second one, which is I, I think arguably one of our most successful content pieces, uh, was a feature called Bad Joke Telling we did with the NFL, um, and perhaps you've seen that. Um, we basically took to, um, two players uh, and gave them, you know, you know, I, I would say bad jokes. Um, but the, the contest was really, can you tell bad jokes? And the first one to start laughing loses. Um, and so that, that, that allows you to dimensionalize your personality, to see guys sort of go head to head and still compete, uh, albeit in, in, in joke telling. Um, but again, it was our special turn on being able to get the helmet off and let the, let the league and let the players really in, enjoy um, some of the personality of these guys. And, and, and again, that's been one of our more successful features. And, um, being a, a privately held, staying a privately held company has got to have some nice advantages for you guys. So, uh, But being that way, I don't want to also um, unveil uh, the, the recipe to the secret sauce, but is that now of kind of you know, co-producing content with the NFL and going across their, their platforms as well as then it would show up across all the whistle, Facebook, and et cetera? How are those partnerships constructed of sharing costs, uh, sharing related r- revenues. Uh, is there any, can you share any of that with us of how you go in and do that? Because, you know, this wasn't done before. Yeah. So how are they, um, you know, willing to work with you guys besides coming with now what nearly 3 million followers on Facebook and, you know, all those kinds of things with a, this great demo. H- how do you go about putting those kinds of deals together? Yeah, I think you touched on some of the key areas. And I won't get into sort of the, the nuances of, of what the deal is, but it really is about um, the co-ideation, 
to make sure, and I'll sort of take you through the pipe, if you will, yeah. um, is the co-ideation to make sure that we're being respectful of the league marks, um, where the league will go, won't go. Um, and it really starts with those ideas. And, and we'll share a series of ideas, and we'll call it down like any sort of collaborative partnership. We'll say, hey, here's 20 ideas. Let's try to focus on these six or seven. Uh, we then get into the, the development of that. And, and we've pressed with our partners um, really hard to have us be the producers because um, – we feel like we've got a special angle, a special point of view that allows us to, once we understand the guardrails of the brand of the NFL or Major League Baseball, that we can produce under those guardrails. But we want to be, we want to do it with our sensibility and our, and our sort of turn on how the content should be developed. And then we structure either a rev share um, or minimum guarantee on the financial side so that, that we're both incented to be in the marketplace, um, to have us both win, um, you know, granted, we're not we're not we're not transacting at live rights, uh, live uh, live game rights rates, but um, we want to be in the marketplace so that we're there together and that we have the backing of the league to be out and talking to their commercial partners, um, as well as our sales organization feels like they're not competing in the marketplace, trying to sell at or against one of the one of our league partners. So we we've worked real hard over the last four years. Um, to really structure these partnerships because they were new to your point. Mm-hmm. Um, and the leagues, I think, have come along with us and have realized that it, it can't always fit exactly the model that's working for large corporations. And as this new digital media company, some of the rules have to change a little bit. Right. Um, and they've been very flexible and adaptive with us over the years. And I think we've learned how the games change as well and have gotten smarter over the years in developing those deals. Well, I think that's a key almost to their survival. It's got to be that they've got to be open to this change. They've got to be, and they've got to be open to looking at different ways to do this. You're bringing them an audience that they're, most of these leagues are dying to be out in front of. That's the next generation of fan, uh, you know, the, that once they gain disposable income, they're coming to the games and, you know, supporting buying the jerseys and all those kinds of things. So being at the front end and trying to help establish this stuff and being a leader on it is both not scary, but getting to kind of set these new parameters has got to be fun versus coming from some of these large companies that you've worked for in the past yeah, where that stuff is already set. Is yeah, really I mean, the, the, those companies sort of helped equip me to, to have some of these conversations with the leagues. And I think what I think the, the most, one of the, if not the most interesting challenge for us is to look at, at a sports ecosystem that was largely built on, I, I produced the content and I distribute the content across my pipes. Or I sell that content to a large sports broadcaster. So if you enter the world with that construct, you're like, "Wow, I got a lot of things to knock down. <laughs> right? I got some big, I got some big walls that I got to jump over or, or try to chip away at." And one of our early investors was a woman, Jerry Layborn, and Jerry was the leader of Nickelodeon um, as it came to prominence. Oxygen Network worked for Disney Networks as well, uh, and and Jerry's one of Jerry's more salient uh, points to my partner John and I was. You guys might just be dumb enough and naive enough to pull this off. <laughs> we, uh, we I took, think that's a compliment. <laughs> uh, we, you're exactly right. We took it as a compliment. I think she meant it as a compliment, but we've never sort of pressed her on it. Uh, so we, we've sort of always worked under the assumption that it is, that it is a compliment. Uh, but but as, as, as we've sort of framed the opportunity to the leagues, I think they're understanding now, or more understanding now, that their content can't just be pushed out through their pipes. That if they wanted to, if they want to grow their audience and ad- adapt and adopt earlier fans, that one way is um, to go off-platform and or uh, off their distribution channels, and another way is to bring new voices into that into the uh, into how you create that content and dimensionalize that content. And certainly, um, the 450 creators and think of them as either YouTube stars or Instagram stars or whatever, however you want to describe them, influencers. The fact that they have one-to-one have built their audience one-to-one, one at a time, and have scaled up and laddered up to significant businesses, I think the leagues and partners and even brands um, directly are starting to really understand the value of having that one-to-one relationship that um, us as the production team and the brand and also our creators can really help develop for them. It's interesting. What what kind of a role right now are you in specifically around esports? I just talked with a couple of guys at um, Rev XP and, and repping uh, the talent in that space and just how much that's exploding with the tournaments and the corporate investment and that uh, 
it's got to be right in the same sweet spot of 13 to 34 year old males as viewers who care about that. Is that also a priority of yours, or is that, is that something that it's its own its own niche? How do you look at something like that that's that's coming up? right now as a, as a new sport, if you will. Yeah, we've got, uh, we've got a number of power verticals within our network and certainly eSports. And our, our particular focus is on, uh, is on the sports side of, of eGaming and uh, with a, a particular power um, in the FIFA gaming world. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, as we look at the landscape, FIFA gaming and Madden gaming um, to a lesser degree um, are really becoming um, a really important vertical for us. We are now starting to look outside the traditional sport world uh-huh. and find out that some of the um, sort of one-to-one gamers are, uh, are, are now crossing over into the sports space, um, and we're focusing and developing opportunities around that. But, but for us, it, it really is not dissimilar to a golf creator or a basketball creator, is how do we provide these guys a commercial ecosystem so that they can prosper beyond just gameplay and can turn into content developers and content personalities which I think is the full range of how these creators can have holistic businesses and not just be, I'm a, game, I'm a gamer and I, I make my money solely on the competition side of it. These guys are also significant and prolific content creators and developers. And when you talk about creators, then like how, and I find this, I, did, I come back to this, that you don't have any real IT tech people on, on board with the company. Who, how big is Whistle Sports right now, and, and what are the different roles? When you talk, you've talked a lot about the creators and the NASCAR piece in particular, that they went out and uh, embedded themselves with the driver and the team and things, and then you got much more authentic, to use the, the, the buzzword, content out of that. What is, how, how big are you guys, and what are the different kinds of roles that you have? Who are the people that you're looking to, to hire and grow with right now? Sure. We've got uh, about 75 employees. And those employees are stationed uh, with, uh, in our headquarters in New York. We've got a uh, sales office in Chicago. We've got a sales and business development office in, Lon- uh, in Los Angeles. And we've got a business development and uh, I guess I would call it partner management office in London. Um, and I'll, I'll sort of just take you through mm-hmm. in general, in general uh, broad strokes, the sort of the departments. Um, so we've got a uh, forward-facing sales organization that will sell more traditionally described branded content sponsorship opportunities. Think of that as up and down Madison Avenue or, um, or, or, or any calling on any brand or agency that's interested in creating uh, content. Um, when and, I saw it, like an example of that, would this be, uh, I saw something with, <laughs> he just cracks me up, it would be Spice Adams, that there was something with, McDonald's sriracha yes, sauce exactly. and nuggets. Yeah. It ties him. He's sports, former Bears player, funny as heck. And you hashtag it with ad. So it's clearly right. that there's some, but it's developing stuff like that that's customized around big brands, but it's on in front of, on your platforms, in front of your audience. And then McDonald's could use it on Absolutely. their social on their too. their platforms right? and Spice as well. Spice, on yeah. Spice will distribute on his platform yeah. as well. So that that's sort of one of our forward facing revenue teams is, is our. Uh, our our direct sales team. We also have a business development group that is selling and marketing content to the OTT platforms. Okay. So as they're looking for either content or the marketing um, and the opportunity to drive acquisitions onto OTT platforms, we have a really unique uh, proposition where we can really move audiences from social platforms onto OTT platforms. Okay. So that's the difference between when you said both sales and, and uh, biz dev people, sales, our, the biz dev group is working with these OTT platforms partners. Sales is more the traditional advertising. Yeah, I basically. think that's the okay. easy, easiest way to sort of understand the delineation. From a marketing perspective, both agencies and brands, as well as OTT platforms, are looking for the marketing of that content. So that sort of is a foundational piece across the two revenue teams. Uh, and as we sort of go around the rest of the company, we've got our content and production team who are both ideating it uh, producing it and then distributing it and programming it on our channels and our partners' channels. We've got a community development team, which is really identifying the partners and managing the partners. Think of them as the creators. Okay. Um, and then we've got uh, we've got a, a finance and analytics team, a legal team. We've got a graphics uh, graphics that falls under the content and production team. Those are sort of the major buckets. Mm-hmm. What, where do you where are you finding? I mean, is it a bunch of guys that are fairly recently out of school and interested in being in either sports or 
tech or social or some combination, or does it end up like you walk the halls in the, with these guys in, and gals, because I may be totally wrong, in New York, is it totally different? Where do you find people right no, now? No, I mean, we're largely a millennial-focused workforce, uh, and uh, we, we're finding them from some, not a lot, traditional media uh, f- folks that have morphed through the digital and social space over the last couple of years. Um, some are first jobs. So we've got quite a, quite a variety, but um, we, we are finding that we're, 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 we're identifying talent out of the agency side of the business, out of the new media company side of the business, because mm-hmm. they speak the acronym language that's important, and they understand the platforms, and they understand that the selling cycle and transaction cycle is a little different than a traditional media ecosystem. Uh, and that, I think, bringing those di- those disparate sort of uh, experiences together is, is really helping us drive a workforce that's delivering. Yeah, they're uh, translating from old school to new school, essentially, which is, I guess, what a lot of millennials are asked to do these days anyway. I don't know. You know, you and I don't know that because we're, <laughs> we're not millennials. We're too old. But, right. but um, I mean, then I think that helps you then because it's their – it's their people that they're talking to that it makes sense that they know what's trending and, and cool with the air quotes there. So that makes a lot of sense. But how about now? I also like to talk to all the guests about, you know, your, for example, your case, your background, you worked at a couple of, I mentioned it kind of big companies at USA today and sports marketing and at Gatorade in sports marketing. Um, how, how did you end up, you know, you're, you went to John, or not John Marshall, it was, um, why am I getting college wrong? It's um, James Madison. James Madison. The Dukes. Oh, boy. <laughs> He's not going to let me forget that now. Uh, John Marshall, James Madison. They're, yeah. you know, founding fathers. I just went and saw Hamilton. Maybe that's part of the problem. <laughs> um, so anyway, you went, to J- you went to school at James Madison. Are you from uh, that that part of the country, um, you know, and you working at USA Today, was that in Virginia? How, how did you, you know, were you an athlete? Uh, were you none of those things? What, you know, what, what were you early on in college and early in your career yeah. interested in doing? All the, all the above. So ra- raised in New Jersey, uh, played baseball, uh, went to James Madison in Virginia, played baseball there as well, and was honored to be part of the 1983 College World Series team. Um, so we got out to Omaha and, uh, and realized we were a little college from Virginia and playing against the likes of Stanford and <laughs> right. Texas. So uh, we, we, got, uh, we got delivered home pretty quick. Uh, but I, uh, I also w- was fortunate uh, to have an older brother who had gone through Ohio University in the sports administration program. Oh, right. Early and, on when that was, that was one of the very, very, very few in the yeah, country, right? I think at the time there might have been two, maybe three. Mm-hmm. Um, but my brother John had uh, gone to Ohio University for, for journalism then went through the OU sports ad program. Um, after my time at James Madison, uh, I went to Ohio University on the sports ad side okay. um, and then followed a path. Um, I would, s- I guess I would sort of classically describe it as big brand. Um, did an internship at the White Sox, um, then went to work for the Baltimore Orioles in their uh, promotions and marketing group, and then went to the agency side uh, with uh, uh, Miller Beer. Uh, and spent a couple of years doing the regional sports marketing for them, uh, both out of Washington, D.C., and then Dallas. Um, and then uh, start, started my sort of brand side of the, um, of the uh, exploration with USA Today, and then eventually um, did a quick agency stop again, and then uh, wound up at Gatorade before I came here okay. uh, at Whistle Sports. And I, and I never thought I'd go from a you know, a couple billion dollar business at Gatorade to a zero billion dollar startup <laughs> right. um, that late in my career. But it's been an amazing um, evolution and, and learning experience for me. And uh, the the speech I give to young kids today mm-hmm. is really um, that corny phrase about what do you want to be when you grow up? I think it has some relevance about what chair do you want to sit in when you grow up? And if that chair um, is you want to be, you want to run a f- baseball team or you want to run a football team or you want to run a brand or you want to own a X or a Y or be a startup, I think it's important to know what are, the st- what are the legs on the chair that you need and the experiences you need in order to sit in that chair. So I, I always wanted to run a sp- somebody's sports business. I didn't know that it'd be my own. I wanted to run a team or I wanted to run a brand and I thought I would need team experience. I thought I would need property experience or team experience, sort of the same thing. I thought I'd need agency experience to understand both sides of the desk in right. the process under being client um, as well as agency, and I thought I needed brand experience. 
uh, and media experience. So I, I set out in no particular order to get that rounding of experiences to hopefully someday sit in a chair where I could be you know, running or, or you know, particularly, you know, I, I, I used to think I wanted to be in the corner office. Yeah. That had a lot more meaning back then <laughs> before sort of a socialist office space where everybody's in a pod um, has changed things. So if I wanted to be in the corner office, um, the, the stools of the chair that I needed, I, I was trying to get those experiences. And I try to share that with, with folks today about, well, hey, what, you know, should I go for this or that? I'm like, okay, well, let, let's, let's take that longer view mm-hmm. and let's see if there's not an opportunity for us to think about what do you want to be when you grow up. And it is a, it is a sort of a tried and true question on early interviews, but I think it helps you at least give context to, to what sort of experiences you want, you want to get in order to build up to something you really dream about. Like, so when you got, how, how did you get into, you, you went from um, agency, you said, was that the point you were working on Miller yeah. business? And then you went to USA Today right. to be manager and, and then director of sports marketing. Uh, did you, you were just looking at that as part of it, at least as progressing the way up, learning that business now being part of that larger corporation, whatever. What kind of stuff was sports marketing at that point in the, you know, that's from 91 through 99. Right. What kind of things were you doing? Was it mostly doing sponsorships or was it what, what or was it something else? Well, I'll, I'll, um, I'll sort of answer your question in a little bit of a roundaway, uh, roundabout way, which maybe I'm doing all the all, all the questions <laughs> in a roundabout way. I'm not exactly no, we're sure. We're all good. We're all good. Um, but uh, my, my transition from the agency side to, to USA Today and, and all jobs are really network based. It's how do you connect the power of your Rolodex uh, into um, the next step or the next advancement, uh, and whether that's your mentor goes and takes a new job and eventually brings you along, or the connective tissue of of uh, friend A connects you to friend B for the interview to, to get for, for job C. Uh, and, and that's been the story of sort of my career the whole way. Um, friends have, uh, friends and mentors have been supportive of me and, uh, and, and helped me sort of advance through that. And as we got, as I got to USA Today, uh, I think the, um, with, a, uh, with Keith Cutler, who was introduced to me through my Miller Sports Group agency experiences, um, Keith and I were really trying to look at the USA Today sports section like a TV network, like a sports network. We had great programming. The USA Today sports section, think early 1990s, pre-digital age, pre-social for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, but if you had your baseball and you had basketball and you had football and you had Sail America's Cup or you had, and you thought of that programmatically, how would you then task the sales organization to think like a network, mm. even though that's one channel amongst your news, money, life sections of the newspaper, um, as well as how do you go and partner with leagues in order to create special editorial opportunities and then package those editorial opportunities in partnership with the league. So we we took a very traditional network model and tried to apply that to the sports section. And I think it proved to be a pretty pretty interesting development. Well, there was a, I mean, yes, it was a, uh, at that point through the 90s, yeah, it was basically if you traveled and you were a sports fan because there wasn't the internet at the early '90s, especially that was how you found your coverage. Yep. It was either ESPN or USA Today or a combo of both, and so it was a powerful yep. engine. And so looking at it, twist turning it like that, and how how did you find when you're younger? I like that point about you know things being. I found that to be very true for most people of moves being network based, being the opportunities being presented themselves that way you know how did you find that network uh, how did you build how did you identify those people how did you find good mentors or people to pick their brains as they would say how did you you know have some people get scared off like yeah. you know i i can't go talk to that guy right. how did you you know was it being a, a successful athlete help you with some of that confidence or you know what was a way that you went about finding some people to uh, to get connected with, yeah, I think there's there's a couple a couple different places to sort of jump off there. Uh, one is it helps to have a brother who's interested in the same area, and he's older than me, and he he paved a lot of the he paved a lot of the highway ahead of me. Um, helped me with an internship. I think you know internships are valuable for you to identify. Do you want to be in Do you want to be in this path? Uh, and and as again as as folks call me and say, what should I do? Where should I go? I said just get experiences. And it's a lot easier to hire somebody who's proven that they want to do an internship or two or three rather than um, just sort of ride out the summer. 
So that's one area. So I'd, I'd say internships are one area. Certainly having a brother who could help pave the path for me was another area. Um, um, Ohio University um, was an amazing experience and gave me um, uh, not only amazing experiences, but also a, a, a amazing Rolodex of folks that are out in the sports space. Um, and then each job, um, you, you've got to sort of work your way into being inquisitive and being you know, willing to do the extra stuff and to beyond just hang the banner, you got to go buy the banner and you got to go, you know, <laughs> drive the banner out there. And, you, you know, that, that's the stuff you got to sort of build on. And um, my partner, John, and I have this term called PLUs. It's people like us. And you eventually want to surround yourself with people like us. Mm-hmm. You want to have, in our case, you want to have investors that are people like us. And you want to sort of smell out as best you can and suss out as best you can uh, the people that will work with you and for you, the partners that will work with you and for you, and make sure that um, they're going to act in the manner and the style and you can relate to and develop a long-term relationship with them um, to make you proud of the company that you're building in our case or the, or the people that you hire. What was the impetus behind then going from Arlington, Virginia, right? That's where you yeah. say today is, right. to Gatorade, and that was a position in Chicago, right? It was, yeah. So was there, you know, your wife is from here or the network or you had targeted that as a, you know, on a short list of companies you like to go to next or you just got a call out of the blue? How did that deciding, okay, now's the time to make the move and here's the good place to, to do that? Yeah, so what's really interesting is that there are a number of threads through Gatorade that I, as I look back now, I didn't really see the tea leaves then, but as I look back now, I see that Gatorade somehow sort of wove through. I was eventually going to get there. I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't put them on a list of like, I want to go work for Gatorade. Um, but um, early on in my days when I worked for the Orioles, uh, Hank Steinbrecher was one of the early Gatorade sports marketing guys. Yeah. Wonderful man. Um, took a liking to me. We had done, um, I think, two de- one or two deals at the Orioles um, and he, when he was at Gatorade. And um, again, this people like us sort of concept of like, I just connected with him and he was, uh, and I, I thought, wow, that's a guy I, I, I'd be keen to work with or work mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that was sort of one area. We danced a little bit, but never, I, I guess I didn't see myself living in Chicago at that time. Oh. Um, fast forward to, um, I guess 1995 ish or so. And I meet my wife, my now wife on a sales call when I'm at USA today and she's working for the advertising agency on the Gatorade business. So I meet her on a sales call. Um, I'm uh, I'm attracted to her. I try to um, you know do my persistence beats resistance selling model and strategy. And eventually, I uh, I'm able to work my way into a you know a lunch or a dinner um, under the auspices of business. And I'm trying to work really hard. Uh-huh. Um, and she's like trying to do business. And we 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 eventually get to a first date. And two years later, we're engaged. And I'm moving from Washington with USA Today to Chicago because she's Chicago-based. We dated long distance for two years. Oh, jeez. Um, USA Today was gracious enough to, because I was traveling a lot, to mm-hmm. let me work out of the Chicago office instead of the headquarter office in D.C., although going back a lot. Um, and then I reconnected with an old colleague, um, Tom Fox. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, and uh, who had just got the um, VP job at Gatorade, working for Sue Wellington, who turned out to be, you know, two really influential folks in my business career, Tom and Sue. Um, and Tom hires me at Gatorade, and I spend the next 10 years at Gatorade, um, and I think really helps propel and give me the exposure in the sports marketing industry um, at a really unique brand, at a really unique time at mm-hmm. the brand's um, certainly growth trajectory. So um, that was, again, sort of networking and um, and staying connected through the, the power of the network and finding good people that can help propel your career. And then how did you, I, I'm always curious about this too, is the, the, the mindset of the entrepreneur and, you know, I guess, frankly, some, some anxiety slash even scariness with, with a startup and securing funding and keeping it going, you know, it's, uh, you know, it could be, it could be uh, it's just tons of outside stress factors pushing on you that how did you know the point, the question I'm trying to get to is with you and John as your partner, how did you know, you talked about the people like us, the PLU, and you guys obviously hit it off, but it's one thing to be able to be a constructive partner when you know, he's at the league and you're at a brand or something like that, and you guys just are able to knock out 
you know, uh, smart deals for both sides. But now your both of your livelihoods and even reputations are on the line of making this thing work. How did you get to a, either of you think that you got to that comfort level that it was taking the, I guess you'd say the relationship yeah. to a whole nother level? How did you vet and I liked your, your sussing out? How did you do that stuff between you and John? I mean, make no mistake, our careers are on the line. I mean, and that's a powerful motivator. So, uh, I, I'll, I'll circle again, I'll circle back to your yeah, question, yeah. but at the core of it, you know, I got nowhere else to go. So <laughs> this is, uh, I, you know, John and I and the team, we got to make this work. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm deep into my career now and I've spent the last eight years of my career focused on whistle sports and prime earning years, prime opportunity years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so d- d- don't underestimate, you know, the, the, f- the, the, the fear of that. Right. Um, as a key motivating factor to driving towards success. Yeah, but sometimes that can cause people, I get that, and I respect that, but for some, a lot of people, that could cause them then to snap, you know, like, okay, the, you know, like you said, I, I'm giving up key earning period of my life, and my kids are now teenagers, and I'm not around for their games, and da 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 so forget it, I'm done. Yeah. I get that, that's, but I think, I'm not trying to be I guess a ask jerk, that but my wife, right? that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Ask, ask that of my wife a little bit. Right. But John, um, it helps to have a partner in John who's been through this two other times before. That's what you said, well, that's true. He's a, like as a serial entrepreneur. Right. So he's had okay. successful transactions two times before. And so I think our first, before I joined full-time, uh, he, had, he had brought the idea and um, he came to Chicago and we had dinner with my wife and I. And he's like, hey, this is a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you got to get ready. It's not, you know, respectfully, it's not Gatorade. It's not USA Today. Um, you know, they got paper and pencils in the closet, right? They got a brand on the logo, like all those things. They make payroll, right? Yeah, right, <laughs> right? right. So all those things that you've experienced before, which are great things, he's like, we're building that. And um, the roller coaster analogy was, you know, hopefully your good, your your best days are Friday to carry you through the weekend. And if you're having a bad day, hopefully your bad day is on Monday and you can fix it by Friday. Um, so I, I think it's, uh, it, it, it's, it, it, it's paramount to have, in my case, a valued partner that I trust and that we are both um, fully invested and also, frankly, fully exposed. Like, I don't, I don't think there's anything that I've ever hidden from him, nor do I feel like there's anything hidden from me as we've built the company, and there's right. been some rough times. There's been some bad investments that we've made, bad, you know, you know, um, resource sucks, on, on that we've just made the wrong call on the business. But we've been able to be adaptive enough. I think. Well, and it's a transparency thing too. I mean, like a good relationship, whatever, husband, wife, but business too. Like you yeah. said, you're not holding stuff back from each other, so that when it's hitting the fan, you're. You guys know where everybody stands. I think that's super important. And we're and we're very we're, we are very different people. Yeah. Um, but we share a common a common goal and a common value mm-hmm. for the for the company. And a, as we've evolved over the years together, and we've tried to more clearly define what our roles are mm-hmm. or will be. And it's not early on. It was the Jeff and John show, and we had to stretch like a snare drum, you know, around to be able to do all these skill sets and. Right. We've tried to um, learn each other and work with each other and say, hey, you're going to focus on this area of the business. I'm going to focus on that area yeah. of the business, which is which has been, a, you know, that's and how would you delineate that now um, of how you know, yeah. it's what's falling under him and what's falling yeah, under I'd, I'd make it real simple. If, if we drew the line and if above the line is is revenue and brand, that would be me. Okay. And if both, you know, not that above or below one side of, of the line is revenue and brand, that would be me. Um, and then if the other side of the line was operations, investor relations, uh, finance, legal, um, and to a certain degree international, um, I'd say that would be John. When, when you look at the, the deals with um, at least looking at LinkedIn and maybe, you know, I'm missing some, but NBC Sports and Sky Sports and Liberty and Tegna and some other capital um, investors, that's John's more specialty. I'm sure you're involved in the pitching sure, yeah. and those things, but... That's where he's got some more of that experience. Focuses on that. You're doing some of the stuff with the selling, the branding, right. the looking, the content, and, and that piece. Okay. Yeah. If we if if you think about my 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 experiences from USA Today in particular and, and, and Gatorade to a large degree, you know, I didn't really had to deal with cap table or investor relations. Um, wasn't sitting on the board at you know um, at PepsiCo, um, and those are things that John had built. He'd built two previous businesses. Had. Um, work with investor relations and cap structure and, and the whole lot. Um, but that was stuff that I was keen to get 
to get dialed into. Right, right. But I also, I think, was self-aware enough to know that I maybe I can't do that on my own at first. Um, so I, that's why I think our partnership has been um, at least successful to date, as we've understood sort of the, our, our respective strengths and weaknesses and have tried to fill those in and build a team that also allows us to identify or be self-aware enough to know that we have certain strengths and certainly still have certain weaknesses in the business that we should hire to. And ha- even though you knew it was a roller coaster and you knew that there would be, you know, there's got to be lows then, did you, th- have you thought at a point or even more than one point that it's not from lack of effort, but that it just, it wasn't going to make it? Or yeah, the, for or, sure. I think every, I mean, I, I, I would imagine you talk to way more successful companies than ours and, and frankly, the ones that have failed too. And you're like, um, yeah, there's been a lot of those, and that that's that's a motivational tool for you as well. Um, I, I think probably my biggest worry was that are we just too early? Really? Are we just too early as um, being really um, social first? There's still a lot of money in TV, like oh, a yeah. lot of money in TV, right. and that money's moving to digital, and social is even further down the pipe. Mm-hmm. So I, I I was I was worried that we had started the company a little too early to sort of capitalize on the, the tailwinds that are people are leaving television and are, are leaving time viewing, uh, are, are inter, inter, interacting and transacting on digital. Will, will it get to social fast enough for us? And or can we get the business from social and extend it back up the pipe um, to digital and then to TV, which we're doing now to a certain degree? I feel less worried about that now, and I feel um, that, we're, that we're properly positioned. And um, I continue to tell our gang. I, th- I think um, the ring is ours to go grab. That mm-hmm. you know, if you're if you're on the merry-go-round and you're trying to grab that brass ring, uh, while hard for sure, I think the ring is our is ours to go grab now. And um, no one's certainly going to give it to us because there's big boys competing out in the space, and the big guys are starting to get keen on social. Um, but if you look at a, a most recent report from Shareably, which measures engagements and interactions on social, um, we're number three. Uh, be you know ahead of some pretty big media brands, and that's social only. Right. So that's the world we live in, and maybe not the world they all live in a hundred you know a hundred percent. But we're starting to punch with the big boys, and that's uh, um, that's exciting for us and the team. Yeah, that's got to be that's got to be I don't know if satisfying because you may not ever be satisfied, but it's it's got to be nice to see that all the way up to that level at this point. What's is there anything? Um, you know, else of, of either trend things or stuff that's that is coming coming down the line, or even you know when um, looked things to be people to be looking for from you guys this this fall uh, or heading into eighteen that you'd want to talk about today. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple things I think that that are on our horizon and international expansion. I think is a really big opportunity for us right now. About fifty percent of our views come from um, from Europe, UK in oh, particular. Really? Already they yeah. do. Wow. Yeah. Uh, not our revenues, but uh, uh, our views. <laughs> well, that's what you need to change. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, so I think um, in the coming months, you'll see us uh, take a more focused and aggressive stance on international expansion. Um, uh, if you think of us as the dealer um, with content, the, the more OTT platforms that are developing and popping up, um, uh, the better for us um, because they are potential partners and potential clients to bring our special sort of sports entertainment and content. So as the as the fracturing of the ecosystem of traditional traditional television uh, is happening and more new age distribution places are coming up, I think that that plays into our hand very well. Uh, and we're seeing amazing growth month over month on social platforms, and more people are engaging and coming on social platforms. And um, as countries open up with social platforms as well. Uh, I, I think again, the the business is is, is ours for uh, f- to go grab. Well, you're at what? I mean, I think of something around 200 million aggregate subscribers, fans. Um, you know, at this point, growing, adding millions every yeah. week to yeah. So we do about number, we right? add about two million um, two million a week, and that uh, right now I think our number is 375 million. Oh, geez. So the number I had was was uh, has gotten pretty old already. Yeah, so, so um, closing in on an almost four, double yeah, that. So wow. give some co- some context to that. If if you took all of our creators, which are about 475-ish or so, and mm-hmm. on the Whistle Sports channels and uh, and brand, and you took every follower and like and subscriber and, cum- and, and aggregated mm-hmm. those across all the platforms, mm-hmm. it'd be about 375 million. Wow. Now, of course, there's going to be some duplication in that. Um, we're working hard to, to, to get to that duplication. 
um, but it's not an exact science. And may, so maybe that number is 150 million or 200 million. Right, but that's still a big. That's a big number, number. right? So right. when you scale that audience up against other like-minded networks in the sports ecosystem, makes us, uh, I think, a growing and, and pretty powerful. Well, if you're part. investing in that, of figuring that out and separating that out and getting rid of the duplicity and understanding really what the not just reach but actual impact and buying patterns and things like that from that group uh, and being out in front of that, that's going to make you invaluable to brands on that side or leagues on the other side. We'd like to think so. Yeah. We'd like to think so. Well, anything else that uh, you you have on the tip of your tongue of stuff you'd want to share with people listening or do we we do a good job covering everything today? I think we touched on most of the big, most of the big things. Uh, Excited to be part of the, part of the podcast. I love it. I love it. Thanks. I, I busy guy all over traveling all over and, and, uh, being able to squeeze this in on the schedule. I, I really appreciate it. I'll put in the pod um, description the info people want more on Whistle Sports, whether it's as a follower uh, to, to see content or their careers page. I'll put those links in there. I appreciate and, that. Really and and uh, yeah, absolutely. Keep up the great work. And uh, thanks for joining me today on the Painless Podcast. Fun to be together. Thanks. I well, hope you enjoyed my chat with Jeff. And as he reminds us, network and try new internships and jobs and just keep learning and sometimes even failing. You end up at a place you're pretty happy with. So check www.whistlesports.com careers for what's currently available at Whistle Sports. About a dozen jobs I'm seeing in Chicago, LA, and New York City. Uh, quickly, before you jump to your next pod and your feed, a reminder to all you spike ballers, get 50% off team entry into Spikeball National Chicago, October 14th. Use the code PAINLESS. Get to www.usaspikeball.com now. Get your spot. Use that code PAINLESS to get in for half price. Okay, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. I I can't believe it. We're passing uh, 10,000 listens already to the Painless Podcast. Uh, Just just flabbergasted by it. It's it's so cool and and, uh, glad you're enjoying listening and loving the feedback from it. If you haven't heard all the 27 previous and, of course, all awesome Painless Podcasts, get going. Try uh, Tab Bamford of LaVita Baseball and CommittedIndians.com. He's at number nine. Or BTN's Mike Hall of number 20. How he's been prepping for college football season. Woohoo, it's here. First three episodes of The Fadeaway are also in the feed with Deion Thomas and Eric Schmidt. Great stuff. Subscribe today so you don't miss any of those that have happened or any of the great ones that are coming. Until next time, it's Chris Hartwig saying, stay connected, friends. Oh, oh, oh.